0: welcome to connect with christina sitting here with me today on this wonderful saturday
1: yeah <laughs> i love Saturdays.
0: is my new friend dylan yes and i'm Technically, met Dylan today for the first time, but I've known of Dylan through an amazing woman, Mary Mesquita. Um, and it's funny because I've been a same thing. I've been avoiding seeing him in person because I wanted to have him on here as a guest because he has a beautiful story that I know will help so many people out there, and I wanted to bring him on here. So,
1: Dylan, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm genuinely stoked and uh, honored to be a part of this.
0: So I know a little bit of your story, and I really was hoping you could share that with our viewers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, how much time we got here. You know, like, there's, <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a lot, you know. I, uh, first, you know, again, for anybody out there, my name is Dylan. Um, I am a recovering drug addict. I'm also a husband, I'm a father, um, I'm a real estate agent, real estate investor. I'm a lot of things, um, but that recovery part is by far and away the most important aspect to me. Um, I don't know if you just want me to jump right into it or anything like that, or but um, I was born right here in Phoenix, Arizona, too. I was born in the Maryville area, so a lot of love Phoenix that. love. I oh, love yeah. my
0: people from Arizona.
1: Right? Yeah, absolutely. One of like I'm like one of 17 remaining who was born here. Yeah, everyone else <laughs> is like, you know, migrated here, but um, yeah, I was born in the Maryville area. I was born to two teenage parents, and uh, they did a really good job loving How me. How old were they? They were 17, and my dad had just turned 19 years old. Um, they did a really good job loving me. I always knew that I was loved. Um, I always like to say that I did not have a bad childhood. I like to say that I had an inappropriate childhood at times. Um, when I was around 2, 3 years old, an event occurred that I believe shaped my life to this very day. My dad lost his little brother in a car accident. My dad's little brother was only 15 years old. My dad did not take it very well. He dove into the bottle. Um, My grandmother continued on that route as well. Um, To sum it all up, I come from a a long line of drug addicts and alcoholics, a lot of really good people who just hurt really bad and didn't know how to handle their pain. Um, I had one rule growing up. My dad gave me one rule growing up. Get straight A's in school. And if I had straight A's in school, that meant that I was able to do whatever else that I wanted to do. That was my first mistake at social acceptability equaling personal recovery. Meaning if I could show you this piece of paper, if I could show you this and I could show the outside world, hey, I'm doing great. That meant that I could do whatever it was that I pleased and it didn't matter. Like I started believing at a young age that consequences that applied to normal people did not apply to me and that I could beat the system, that I could cut the corners, and that I could find the loopholes successfully. And I believed that. I really did believe that. I, uh, I continued on that. And then around high school, I, uh, I decided I no longer cared about that social acceptability, and I started you know, getting into a lot, lot more trouble. Um, I did graduate, barely, but again, only by manipulation, loopholes, Cutting corners, How all of that good stuff. How old were
0: when you started that? That finding yourself in that path.
1: I was uh, when I was. By the time I was fourteen, I was getting high every single day.
0: How did you get access to that stuff?
1: No, oh, it's easy to get access to that stuff. Just kids on the bus, man. Kids on the bus. Um, it was. It, it wasn't. That was not the difficult part. Um, but that's what I was doing. And I started doing that. And I started again normal consequences that applied to everybody else didn't apply to me, right? So I thought I could do it. And then when I graduated high school and got all the same piece of paper, you know, it it confirmed my decision, right, that I could do this, I can handle my private life and show the world that I'm doing just fine, right? Like, I thought consequences didn't apply to me. And I took that even further. You know, when I graduated high school, I started this job, um, this telephone sales job, cold calling. And my skills That's
0: rough, that's hard. That's a hard job.
1: Yeah, it it, it it is. It is. But at the time it came so naturally to me because I was so full of shit already. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was so used to like lying and manipulating and cheating and stealing and all of that stuff for so long. I
0: just appreciate your honesty.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the truth. You know, I, I somebody gave their story honestly. And that story helped me. You know, a lot of people gave their story, honestly, and it helped me. So I don't want to do a disservice to the kid who needs to hear this by lying about it, you know. So I, I wasn't, you know. I, I was a shady individual for a, for a while, you know. I had a good heart. I always had a good heart. But manipulation to get what I needed to get was absolutely just second nature to me. I worked at this job for a little while, and I did good. And then I decided that I was going to open my own business, and I was going to start my own business the worst possible thing happened to me at that point, I became successful. The reason I think that that success was so damaging to me was because, one, I was an alcoholic and hadn't realized it yet. Two, I had an ego that was so big that you hand me that much money at 19 years old and that much freedom and and that little responsibility at 19 years old, I don't know how to handle it. The only way I handle it is to destroy myself with it, right? So I'm going on trips, you know, doing whatever I want, you know, living like I'm retired pretty much, right? Eventually, my alcoholism starts catching up with me. And eventually, I get to the point where I shut that business down, and I do live like I'm retired for as long as possible, right? I went from having money to do whatever I felt like doing to being the guy who walked in first thing in the morning at the same convenience store up to the same clerk, that same walk of shame every morning with the exact change to buy a tall can. Not once did I think that, hey, maybe I have a problem with substance abuse, right? My initial thought was, damn. I no longer have my shield of social acceptability. I no longer have a bank account. I no longer have a report card. I no longer have this thing to tell the outside world that I'm doing just fine. Mind your business, I'm good over here, right? So what did I do? Just like the good drug addict I am, an addict in life that I am, I went from all or nothing, I went from doing absolutely nothing all day to going to work full time, going back to college full time, and going to real estate school. I, uh, I eventually decided that college is not for me. I did get my real estate license, and I was working at this golf course. By the time I got my real estate license, my addiction had started progressing, right? My addiction had started progressing, and I was now reintroduced to painkillers. Now my drug of choice has evolved over the years from whether it was weed or Adderall, alcohol, cocaine, like it had been everything at one point or another and I'd always told you I have this under control. I have this under control. When I was reintroduced to those painkillers, man, it was, it was a game changer for me. And it was the first time in my life that I'd realized maybe I don't have this under control. But I wasn't willing to admit that to myself, right? I wasn't willing to admit that to myself. So I continued on. During this time in my life, my wife and I, my then girlfriend, eventual wife, are in the process of adopting my niece. My niece's parents were drug addicts. I decided I needed to save this little girl, right? She didn't deserve drug addicts as parents, right? And I wanted the world to see, hey man, look at Dylan, what a great guy. Again, right back to the social acceptability. Dylan is such a great guy. Look at he's taking care of his niece, he's working, he's making money, he's taking his family on vacations. Again, I was so focused on making sure that that Instagram life, that Facebook life was on point because I wanted everyone to see Dylan's doing just good when in reality Dylan's trying not to put a pistol to his head. You know, that's where I really was in all actuality, right? By the time the adoption got finalized, which was a long just gruesome process, it it was incredibly exhausting. By the time the adoption got finalized, my drug of choice has now evolved to fentanyl. And I am am heavy in my fentanyl addiction, right? So bad to the point where this day finally comes after all of these years of fighting, and I'm standing in the courtroom high. I show up late to the courtroom that day because I had to get my drugs, right? I'm looking horrible in this picture of, of, of that day, and it's something that I robbed myself of, right? I robbed myself of the blessing of being present and being emotionally available in that moment, right? I decided that I was going to try to get clean and I tried like hell to get clean. And I really meant it when I said that I wanted to get clean. I really, really did. But unfortunately, the choices in my life were removed. I was long past the life of having choices every day, right? Like. This is, this is one of the stigmas, man, like with mental health and drug addiction, like, oh, man, just stop, just stop, just stop. I wanted to stop. And if I could stop, I would have stopped, right? But it, it had crossed that line to where I no longer live with, with choices. I woke up every day and used against my own will. Tears running down my face, I am putting a substance in my body that I genuinely do not want to put in there. But the drug said, I don't care. It's time to use. And when that drug calls me, I answer, Right? It gets to the point where I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I still, but again, my ego is still in the way. I still think that I can do this by myself. I still don't think that I need help. I don't, I don't need treatment. I, don't, I really don't need the 12 steps. Like I don't need all of these things that everyone keeps saying that I need, right? Like check the resume, I do this, I do that. Like my ego was out of whack. My ego almost killed me, right? So it got to the point where I'm trying to get tr- clean, I'm trying to get clean, I'm trying to get clean and it's not working. I'm detoxing myself on the couch, I'm sweating through my sheets, Uh, I'm ready to chop my legs off because of the restless legs, my skin doesn't fit anymore, I'm crawling out of it, like, it's miserable, I'm in and out of a bathtub because I can't regulate my body temperature, and my wife is there the entire time to watch all of this, time and time again, time and time again, I said I can do this on my own, and I really meant it, time and time again, I would have strapped me up to the polygraph test, like, right, like, put me to a lie detector test, I mean it, like, I'm gonna get clean this time, it didn't matter. It didn't matter every time I relapsed because I was trying to do this on my own. And it got to the point, man, where I was starting to think of some weird shit to get clean, right? Like, I was like, damn, like, what's going on? Like, why can't I get clean? I was like, Suboxone. Oh, I need Suboxone, right, which is uh, an opiate blocker. You know, people use it to detox, right? I'm not a fan of it, but I thought one day came up to my mind. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take Suboxone, and I'm going to go golf, and that's going to work, Right. That's going to get me clean that day. Right. Because that's where my insane thinking was at this point. You know, and I do this. I go out and I drive. You were
0: desperately trying. (laughs) I was. Yeah,
1: I was desperate. Absolutely. I was incredibly desperate for it, you know. So I started trying all these crazy things and. I, drive, I, li- I lived in Avondale at this time, and I drive all the way out to Chandler because I did get a sponsor at this point. And a sponsor is somebody who's supposed to take another person through the 12 steps. I wasn't working those 12 steps. My sponsor was for show pretty much at that point. Not on his end, but You'll on my end. report card again. Exactly. It- exactly. That social acceptability. Look, I go to one meeting a week. I have a sponsor. See, world, I'm doing good now. Don't worry about me, right? I always try to fool the world, right? In reality, I was only fooling myself. So my sponsor tells me, Dylan, you gotta stay moving. You gotta stay moving. I know it's uncomfortable when you're detoxing, but you gotta try to stay moving. So I did. I got some boxing and I decided that golf was gonna help me, right? Not the 12 steps, not treatment, not not going to meetings, not honestly working a program, not asking for help genuinely, not a help, not the help of God, right? Like not a relationship with God. None of that was gonna help me. So boxing and golf was gonna help me, right? Like that's where my insane thinking took me. And I'm out there and I take the Suboxone, and from the time I tee off to the time I get to the fairway, I am now in the worst precipitated withdrawal I have ever been in my entire life, right?
0: Describe that.
1: <laughs> Describe it. All right. Damn. All right. You got, like, some chainsaws and, like, a sauna and, like, some, like, needles we can just, it's, I'm joking, but it, you know, It's. it's miserable, so... My skin doesn't fit. Like I said, I'm sweating. I'm nauseous. I, I'm exhausted, but I can't sleep. My legs, the worst case of restless legs you can possibly imagine. I have zero strength. Like, legitimately, it takes everything I have to crawl. It, it's horrible. I find when I, when I throw myself into this withdrawal, I'm at the furthest part of the golf course from the parking lot at this point, right? And golf carts don't move very fast, right? So I'm all the way out there, and I'm now trying to get to the parking lot in this precipitated withdrawal. I finally get to my Jeep at the time, but I threw all my stuff out because I'm getting clean, right? So I threw all my paraphernalia out, all the stuff that I used with, out. I threw everything out, right? I didn't have anything. So I call my dealer, I'm like, hey man, we got an emergency here. I need you to meet me immediately. It's like, all right, cool. Problem is I got to get from like the Wild Horse Pass area, the Chandler over there in Chandler, that casino. I got to get from there over to 59th and Thomas at this McDonald's over there, all right? It's a long drive for someone in the shape that I'm in, all right? I get there. Well, I pull out of the place. And then when I'm going through withdrawals, I also don't have the most control over my bodily functions, right? I pull over on the main road right there, on the main intersection, right by, there's a there's a gas station there, right off the freeway, right by the casino, tons and tons of cars. I park my Jeep right there on that intersection. I run out and I find like the tumblewood of a bush that I can to try to hide behind, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm going to the bathroom behind this bush in front of all of these cars. And I'm just a mess, right? And I'm thinking, how in the hell did I let it get this bad, right? I finally get back to my Jeep, I get to my guy, I don't even have enough strength to do these things, you know, to, to consume these fentanyl pills the way I traditionally consume them at this point. So I resort to eating them. I eat six of them. By the time those six started kicking in a little bit, I'm now at least able to walk. I hadn't even been able to walk to that point. So I walk into this, this McDonald's bathroom, and I don't know who's out there who's from Maryville or knows of Maryville, but a McDonald's Maryville bathroom is not the most clean place in the world to be. I walk into this bathroom and I get into the stall and I'm going to use my drugs the way that I normally like to use them. I collapse when I get into the stall. And there's human piss and shit all over this fucking stall. And I'm just laying there. And I look at that ground, I look at what's on that ground, and I look at that moment, and that's exactly how I felt. That was me at that point. And I thought to myself, how did this happen? How did the kid who had straight A's, How did the kid who started a business at 19 and was successful, how did the kid who just decided I was going to do this and do that, like, how did this happen? This is not what I intended to do, right? I wish I could tell you that was a moment that I got clean, but it wasn't. That was a beginning of a surrender moment for me. I went on for a few months after that, continuing to destroy my life until the point it finally got where I thought I had to end my life. I thought the only way out of my addiction was to commit suicide, so I became suicidal. I was going to write a letter to my wife, I was going to write a letter to my family, and I was going to write a letter to my daughter explaining to her that daddy loves you so much, but I will not be there to watch you grow up. I was going to drive up to Prescott, Arizona, and I was going to commit suicide. That was the plan that I had, that's in my warped thinking, my insane way of thinking, in my desperate way of thinking, I thought that was the only way that I could make it right. Um, That's the only way that I could stop burdening those that I loved. And that was the only way I was ever going to make it out of my drug addiction. I'm sitting in my daughter's room one night and I'm sitting there just broken, defeated, depressed, exhausted. I am tired. I'm tired of living that life. I'm tired of living, period. Period. And I don't know what my wife saw, but she saw something vulnerable, and she struck. And she comes up to me. She asked me the exact same question that she asked me so many times before, the exact same question that I said no to every time before, and the exact same question I always had a reason to say no to before. She looks at me. She says, Dylan, are you finally ready to go to treatment? Will you please get some help? And I looked at her, and just with complete defeat, I just said, you know what? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. She says, great. And as fate would have it, and because I believe God was working in my life long before I allowed him to, uh, I allowed that relationship to grow. She comes back to me. She says, "Great, Dylan, I found this great place, and I'm going to send you to Prescott, Arizona, to go to rehab." So the same place that I was planning on going and ending my life, I went to begin my life. And on July 17th. 2019, I did my last fentanyl pill, my last Fetty Wap in a QT bathroom, and I drove up to Prescott, Arizona, and I checked myself into a detox. July 18th, 2019 is my sobriety date. It is a date that I hold near and dear to my heart. It is more like take my birthday. I don't care about my birthday. My recovery date, though, like that's something that I would tattoo on my heart. I don't even have tattoos, but I would tattoo it on my heart if I could because it means that much to me.
0: And I'm a stranger to you. Not for long, but I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I'm glad you're here today.
1: I am too. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it was it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy journey. It, it was like I said, it was uh it was really dark for a really long time, you know. And even when I got to treatment, like I hadn't fully surrendered to like my situation, you know, my ego, like I lacked humility in such a life threatening way that my ego told me I could do things that just weren't realistic, you know. And Even when I was in treatment, you know, oh, I'm not really a drug addict. I'm not really these people. I don't really belong here. And, like, all that stuff was just keeping me sick, you know. And I remember this phone call with my daughter. It had been, like, a couple weeks up to this point. How old
0: was your baby then?
1: She was three. She was three at this time. And I hadn't been able, like, emotionally I didn't have the strength to speak with her up to this point. And I looked at her, and uh, I was on the phone with my wife, and I was still in detox at this point, I believe. And she, she, uh, she asked me, are you ready to speak with her? And I thought I was feeling a little bit better. And I said, yeah, you know what? I'm ready to speak with her. The first thing she says, she's three years old. The first thing she says to me is, daddy, are you finally coming home tonight? I said, baby, I'm so sorry. Daddy can't come home. I still have some more work to do. We told her I was up there working, which I was, technically, right? On my spirituality, on on myself. But when I had to tell her, no, baby, I'm so sorry. Daddy still got a while to go. Like, that fucking broke me. And I'm so grateful for that phone call now. Because that was, like, that metaphorical and, like, literal, like, hit-my-knees moment. And it was at that moment that I, like, came to this place of, like, this beautiful acceptance. I am a drug addict. I'm exactly where I need to be. And I belong here. And these are my people. And when I could put my pride aside and I could tone my ego down, which I still struggle with, when I could do those things, it allowed me to connect with people in a way that I'd never connected with people in my entire life. And I went through that treatment process, and I did a, uh, I did a, um, ended up doing 37 days at a detox and residential treatment facility. And I came home, and I started working the program, man. I started going to meetings, two, three, four meetings a day. I was talking with other people all day.
0: I have a question, Dylan, in the treatment center, like how how far into it before you it started to like really help you? Because you said you accepted it, but was it like resistance in the beginning? Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Again, because I was growing up my entire life thinking I can do things that others can't, right? Like, I don't have to follow the system that all of you guys follow, right? And that's just not necessarily true in a lot of situations, and this was one of them, you know? There's a lot of times and ways in life that that helps me out, like... You know, entrepreneurship, which I know you're big on as well. Like, I love entrepreneurship. I don't ever want to punch a clock, ever, you know? And that's fine. I'm not, That's not bashing those that do. Like, just for right. me, like, I want to think of another way to live my life, you know, and live a life that I'm happy, joyous, and free with, you know? But when it came to my addiction, I had to follow the rules. I, there was no making shit up on my own, you know, because I tried that, and I almost died trying that. So when I was able to accept that help and get out of my way and start reestablishing a relationship with God, and I started going to meetings and I started accepting help, asking for help, becoming teachable. Like for so long, I was not teachable. I wouldn't read a book because I'm like, fuck that guy. I know it all, right? Like I was a self-diagnosed smartest man in the world. I know everything. You can't teach me nothing. That train of thought almost took my life. So to become teachable and say, you know what? Hey, man. I keep getting high, but you're still here. You just got two years of sobriety. I keep getting high. I keep relapsing, but you're still here. You just celebrated 10 years, 20 years. Can you help me? Because I don't know anymore. I've tried every which way I can think of, and I don't know anymore. Can you please help me? And when I was able to accept that help, the light switch went on. And that's when, like, progress was able to be made.
0: So since that treatment, so you were able to go on this path and never relapse again?
1: I've not relapsed. I've not put a drink or a drug in my body since... 27 or july 17 2019 which was my last uh my last fetty wap and then i had i smoked cigarettes for a while but um i quit cigarettes five months ago now too so now it was kind of difficult but yeah i have been completely clean um since 20 2019
0: i mean your wife you know your family seemed like they never left your side so when you came home how was that like
1: it was uh i got a lot of love man for my for my in-laws and for my wife because i you know i even throughout my addiction i always supported myself my wife right helped with bills with the family you know i always you know we were going on vacations going here going there right like we got to go to dubai and africa and tahiti and hawaii and like seychelles and like all these beautiful places right so again that outside perspective was on point look at the great life that they're living right So I was able to do those things, man. It wasn't until the end of my run and until I was ready to go to treatment that, like, I had nothing left. I didn't have a house. I didn't have money for bills. Like, I completely destroyed, like, my economical world, you know. And I moved in with my in-laws, which was humbling. That was hard for me to, like, move back in. That was really, really hard for me. But they tolerated me. They loved me. They helped me. And I was accepted, and my wife made it really easy on me to recover, because I was gone a lot. I was always at meetings. I was always fellowshipping with other addicts. I was always doing something that kept me clean that day, you know. And I didn't even work for like four months into my recovery because I I just didn't have the like mental capacity to do it. I just literally the only thing I could focus on that day was to stay clean, and that was it. So they've been a huge part of it, for so sure. So when you
0: say your wife made it easy for you just to, become, to stay clean, what does that look like? Do you mean because other than staying by your side, like, she was patient?
1: Very patient. Very patient. I think uh, I had this misconception that, like, just give me, like, just give me, like a, a week, give me a month just to kind of refresh and get the drugs out of my system, and I'll be good to go again. Like, we'll be good. Like, recovery is so much deeper than that. You know, I, I'm diagnosed with depression, with anxiety certain traumas in my life you know that all of these things that led me a spiritual just like deficiency you know like all of these things that led me to use that's what recovery is it's not just not using drugs like if that's all it was like that's just that's not what it is you know and I'm not even interested in that like the truth of the matter is I'm not even interested in sobriety I'm interested in recovery and if I'm recovering sobriety will be a side effect of that but I want to recover from my hurts habits, my hangups, my traumas, and I want to continue working on my ego, continue working on my pride. I want to continue being teachable. I want to continue learning how to be selfless because I've always been selfish, self-centered to the core, right? I want to learn and continue being of service to my fellow man. Like I want to continue growing, evolving, like to this better person and this person that God sees me fit for me to be, right? Like that's recovery to me. Not just not doing drugs. That's boring.
0: Dylan, when did you find your relationship with God? So it, it seems like it's been a paramount for you and where you are now.
1: It is. It is. You know, and God has been with me long before I accepted him. He, he really has. I uh, I remember getting high and thinking to myself, man, just leave me alone. Like, cuz i always felt this not nagging call from god i was like just leave me alone man like there's plenty of people on sundays that clearly want your help there's plenty of people in these meetings they keep talking about you they clearly want your help like i don't want your help right now you're messing up my ability to get high right now right and that's how i felt i don't know you know i i i'm a i'm a firm believer in christ and there's this there's this part in the bible right where Jesus is leaving these people. He's gonna leave. He's gonna leave certain people, and I won't get into the whole story. But, but the short of it is, they're saying like, "Hey, man, why? How could you leave us?" Like. Why would you think it's in our benefit to leave us? And he says, man, I'll tell you the truth. It's in your benefit to leave you because while I'm here, the Holy Spirit won't go to work on you. And that's kind of what happened to me. Like once I asked him to leave me alone, like he kind of did. He left me alone, right? And let me destroy myself in a manner I never thought possible. But it was during that time like that the Holy Spirit went to work on me. Like it was during that time that I finally like started getting filled up. And I was able to start getting the message. You know, so when I got out, the twelve steps, man, like those are designed to like bring me closer to God. That's that's what I get out of the twelve steps is I work on a relationship to be better to people and a stronger relationship with God because there's no human power in the world, including myself, that'll ever keep me clean. And that's just how that's just what I believe personally. So that relationship with God is absolutely paramount to my recovery.
0: I'm so thankful that you got to be here with us today because You always, if you watch any of my episodes, I say even one person that we help. It's huge, you know. I can't tell you some of the, the worst memories is, I mean, I've had a few, but I'll never forget one of my apartments when I had to let a mother access an apartment to find her son gone with a needle in his arm, you know. And it just happens more often than... Than people realize. So for you to be here, you're a true example. And you're brave. And I thank you for that. I also want to ask you to tell those people who were by your side, you know, your own thank you.
1: Oh, dude. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we got to make this like a three-parter then. Because there's, honestly, there's so many people in it. And it's as small as a, one conversation I've ever had with somebody. Like, somebody can be in my life for an hour, and that person impacted me greatly. And then other people who have been in my life for a long time who have showed me a lot of grace, a lot of patience, a lot of love. You know, my sponsor who stuck it out with me when i mean it just didn't look like i was gonna get clean ever you know he stayed by my side you know my my homies that i met in the rooms and i do a podcast with you know those guys helped save my life you know i, I run a podcast called not so anonymous yeah and we'll put
0: it up here too.
1: yeah yeah and it's it's a recovery podcast and we it's 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 raw honest real conversation on the crazy shit that goes on in addiction and the crazy shit that goes on in recovery you know and uh we have a lot of laughs but we have a lot of really really good conversations real and the, moments Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well,
0: tell Brie and Mary a little something.
1: Dude, my wife, built different. Just, she's (laughs) built different, for sure. She, uh, I don't even, like, it's too big to describe. It really is. She's a
0: sweetheart. I know that much.
1: She is an absolute sweetheart, but her threshold for her patience level and, like, her, like, just her patience is unreal because... It took me a long time to become even a halfway decent man, you know, and I still struggle with being a good man at a lot of times. And she stays by my side, and she is, like, the backbone of everything. Like, by far and away, the backbone. I gave her the nickname, Backbone Bree, because, <laughs> like, even the podcast, she's, like, the backbone of that. So.
0: I'll change her contact. Yeah. I'll just put BB. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how about Miss Mary?
1: Oh, dude, she has been an awesome supporter of love mine. Love you, Miss Mary. Yeah, for sure. She's been an awesome supporter as well. I love her. She, uh, she gave me a place to stay when I really needed one, when it was not an easy time for me, and it was a humbling time for me to move back in. You know, she was very, very helpful, she, uh, she's always trusted me, not just with her daughter, and in life, but like, even like things like business, you know, I was able to, you know, handle their commercial deals, I've sold like four of her houses now at this point, right, like, so she's always trusted me just in every aspect of life, and that support has meant the world from her.
0: And the last thing to a a young lady, a young man, maybe, you know, even older, that's struggling with addiction right now, and and they're also trying to Find their way back what would you tell them
1: it's possible like I have nothing like brand new or anything like that and it's nothing like crazy it's just fucking possible I legitimately thought the only way out was to end my life by my own hand and that didn't happen but it was only possible once I got out of the way I accepted help and I did the things that were required of me and that were asked of me you know, not, I'm not saying that meetings and 12 steps is how everyone has to get clean. That's just how I got clean. Excuse me. And I know when I got out of the way and I just worked the steps and I go to meetings and I, you know, I'm of service to, the, to other people, it makes my life easier. You know, today I do the podcast. I still, I sponsor four different people, young kids, 20, 21, 22 years old, three of them. The oldest sponsor I have is 27. So like fentanyl is getting younger and younger. I sponsor four people. Once a week, I take a meeting into a detox facility, into a treatment facility. And I speak with the people there for mental health and addiction there. Um, So I do a lot in the recovery community as well. And all of those things help keep me clean. So it's just possible. It's 100% possible just once you get out of the way.
0: So anyone watching, if you want to start that process, you can definitely start by following Dylan. And, you know, want the help, know that you need the help and the help will be there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're ready to go to treatment, man, like you want help getting into treatment or if you just wherever stage you're at, man, you know, you can follow us. Not so anonymous podcast at not so anonymous podcast is the Instagram handle. Um, we have some on TikTok, too. I think it might be the same, but podcastnsa.com. Um You can reach out to us, man, if you're looking to go to treatment give me a call. 623-332-5208. 623-332-5208. If you need someone to call, help you get into treatment, um, get plugged in just if you don't know where to start. Like, I'm always happy to help. Send me a text if I don't answer. I'm a pretty busy dude, but I'm down to help people out there get clean, man, because somebody out there did it for me, you know, and I actually heard it, not on a podcast, but on a radio station. You know, when I was in the middle of using hard uh, I was in the middle of my active addiction. Brandon Lee, uh, the local news anchor here, is a really good friend of mine now. Uh, I love the relationship I have with him. He's helped me out a lot as well. Was on Homeburg's morning sickness, and he was telling his story. And I remember thinking, holy shit, this guy is insane. This guy's like, really telling his story out there publicly. This like he's going to get fired for this. Right. Like I was tripping, you know, and I was blessed enough to do a podcast with him not too long ago. So in two years time, I went from tripping out at this dude telling his story to now I'm in this dude's, you know, podcast spot doing doing it with him because I did the things that I was asked to do. Right. And because someone out there told their story. So anyone out there, man, please reach out.
0: Well, thank you for telling your story. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being with us at Connect with Christina, aka The Cloud Guy. Yay!